Hey, everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this excellent interview with Jeremy Wilson, trombone extraordinaire, just really overall amazing human being, uh, there's a few things I want to share with you. Number one, in this episode, we talked a lot about the body-mind-spirit method that Jeremy and Karen have turned into a workshop. It's a really sort of just a holistic way to approach music making, and uh, they actually have done five workshops so far, and they're about to do a sixth one from July 26th to 29th, which is in a few weeks. And so uh, Jeremy and Karen have agreed to... Uh, give the listeners of this show a $50 discount to the workshop if you use the code that's not spit at checkout. And they wanted me to make sure you knew that the same applies to the gift card that you would buy for somebody else. In case you wanted to get one for somebody else, you can use that same code, get a $50 discount. This workshop is amazing. I've been to it. We talk about it so you can get a bigger picture of what's going to go on with it and how it might apply to you. But if that's interesting to you, make sure you use that code, that's not spit, for a $50 discount. Uh, same thing goes for gift card purchases as well. Number two, make sure you stick around to the end of the episode so you can hear the uh, secret message that Brandon Yoakum, our mastering engineer, will leave for all of us. And number three, I want to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. One of my guilty pleasures in life is diving down endless rabbit holes on YouTube for all kinds of educational content. You really can find so much information for any kind of topic you're looking for, and that does include music education resources. Unfortunately, not every single source of information is full of great information, and that's actually one of my favorite things about Houghton Horns and what originally raised my awareness of them way before they ever became a sponsor uh, is their YouTube channel. They have so many high-quality recordings and tutorial-type videos for players to learn from. And so to me, it's very clear that by supporting Houghton Horns, you're also supporting the creation of high-level music education content for so many students to benefit from. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you are looking for. Go to HoutonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I am very uh, overjoyed and uh, excited to be here with Jeremy Wilson, um, a, a very good friend of mine. I, I mean, maybe we can say very good friend at this point. We've had some good totally. conversations. <laughs> totally very good friend. Uh, we haven't been friends for a super long time, but yeah, we have uh, been able to connect over the past year or so in a few meaningful ways. Uh, the first being the podcast episode from however long ago. Yeah, it's um, been a minute. Yeah, and then I did the Body, Mind, Spirit workshop as well, which kind of just 
put our, uh, I suppose, you know, the connection on uh, on the speed booster, so to speak. That's kind of what <laughs> that workshop can do. So I'm grateful. Well, and then and then recently I visited uh, Nashville and I got to have a quick uh, breakfast with Jeremy and we just had such a cool conversation about all sorts of different things. But one of the things was skill development. Um, I guess I should stop real fast and say who you are for people who may not know. Okay, sure. <laughs> Jeremy <laughs> is an amazing trombone player. He teaches trombone at Vanderbilt University. Uh, got a couple solo albums out that are amazing. Um, and he does solos. Clint, I, I, th- I feel like Jeremy just does it all. And trombone players will obviously be very familiar with who Jeremy is. But for the trumpet players or other musicians that may not be as familiar, uh, Beyond all of the amazing musical aspects of Jeremy, he's just a good dude, and I am sure that you will pick up on that as we talk. So, sorry, we had a conversation about skill development that I thought I wanted to bring to all of you so you could hear what Jeremy has to say. Um, It's some of what he presents in his uh, Body, Mind, Spirit workshop related to practice, and all of you know that I have my very... uh, um, sort of strong but open ideas to practice and and what that you know I'm always trying to learn how to build better and better systems and uh, Jeremy has done a lot of research himself on this so without well without any further ado first of all thank you for giving me some of your time Jeremy I really appreciate it Ryan it's always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, really appreciate being on your awesome podcast such a great resource it's on my list of like for all of my students at Vanderbilt, it's one of those things. It's like, I can't make this part of your grade, but if I could, I would. You have to go <laughs> listen to this, you know? Yeah. Um, my my teacher at North Texas, Jan Kagerice, had this list of things that she called jandatory. Um, she's like, I can't I can't make it mandatory, but it's jandatory. <laughs> and my name just doesn't have a cool punny thing that you can mm. do with it, you know? But it's like it's like the Jeremy mandatory stuff is like, you got to listen to that. It's not spit, it's condensation. So Wilson Wish, how about that? There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, I, I our, dig that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It's a pleasure to have you on and uh, be able to to talk to you again. Uh, let's just—you already know where I'm headed with this, but I, what I'd like to do is just start this episode with Jeremy giving. Um, a general overview of Mm -hmm. what he has found in his research about skill development, how we get better at our instruments, what are effective ways to uh, make our efforts more consistent from time to time, from effort to effort, uh, mm-hmm. with an ultimate goal of being able to uh, have higher level performance more consistently. So I'll just let Jeremy roll with it, and I might interject every once in a while, or I might let you get through the whole thing before I start picking at it and asking questions of my own. But uh, anyway, take it away, Jeremy. All right, yeah. Well, um, I guess I would just start by saying that um, maybe like a 45-second little bio of my career uh, up to this point um, that has helped me to develop some of these ideas. Um, I uh, went to college thinking I was going to be a, co- a high school band director um, and wasn't super uh, concentrated on my playing very much. Um, there was this, you know, sometimes uh, future music educators get hit with this sort of fallacy of like those that can't teach. And um, I... I think subconsciously sort of bought into that. And so I had these not super high standards for my own playing because it's like, I'm just going to be a band director, right? Quote, unquote, just going to be a band director. Um, And then my, I got to college at the University of Tennessee. 
uh, which is where I, I am. I am in the state of Tennessee now. This is my home state, and I went to to college there. And my teacher, you know, slapped me upside of the head metaphorically and said like, <laughs> no, that's not how it works. You know, you have to have high standards. Um, you have to invest in all parts of yourself. Um, and uh, and really was the first person to really show me how to do that. But I spent most of my college life kind of swinging very wildly back and forth between a very sort of music-centric approach to a very intellectual approach, to a very sort of physical, athletic approach, um, and never found that I really made the progress that I wanted to make until um, I started to actually work on all those things together and in in um, uh, in partnership with one another. Um, I spent uh, very little of my high school time actually working on skills. Um, I rode on what people might call talent, right? Like I, I, I picked up the trombone in seventh grade and made a good sound. And I actually don't know how I made a good sound. And so I never asked the question of how am I making a good sound? And what happens if I wake up one day and don't make a good sound? And it just came easy for me. And so then I just, so I just trusted it would always be there. Um, and I never had a problem uh, with you know certain aspects and I just kind of trusted they would be there. Um, and then I get to college and it's like the standard goes way up and I'm not the only good player here. And at a certain point that sort of like talent just runs out. And um, so rather than shifting the balance of my time and my effort and my energies into like into the gaps where it hadn't been before, I just swung the pendulum all the way there and went completely towards like fundamentals and um, and you know hours and hours in the practice room and filling in gaps in my technique. And I had to know how the embouchure worked and I had to know how I was making a good sound and all those kinds of things. And I found that uh, I all those things got better, but then the other things got worse again, right? Uh, so like musicality went out the window, um, artistic expression went out the window, having fun went out the window. And I had lost why I started picking up the trombone and why I wanted to dedicate my career to music in the first place. Um, so then I spent a year pendulum on the other side. It was all artistic expression all the time. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't until about my third year of college where I started to realize, oh, it's a balance that um that one one of all the parts of the self feed into the other parts of the self and when all of them are clicking then the the sum uh, is much greater or the 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 total is much greater than the sum of the parts so um the other thing that had helped me do that was my music education work and i'm taking all these uh, classes on um, learning theory and the learning process and the learning sequence um, and how memories are formed and how and how muscle memory quote unquote is formed um, and learning all of those things and then I started to apply that in the practice room like using these classes on myself and I got to this place where I was becoming a, a, a pretty good teacher and I was becoming a pretty good player. And so um, I kind of shifted my focus career-wise from being a high school band director 
Um, I had also found out that I was way better at teaching individual private lessons than I was on the podium in front of a, a sixth grade group or something. So um, I, I talked to my teacher and I said, what can I do um, that will help me, you know, play a lot and teach at the same time? And he's like, you want to be a college, a college trombone teacher, which is what I am now. And that's how I kind of shifted that part of my career because I just have this passion to make music and I have a passion to to pour into people and help people. Um, and uh, when I was in uh, Texas, uh, at the University of North Texas for my master's degree, I, you know, I got the opportunity to audition for the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra. And for me, it was all just an exercise in like, you know, resume building and, you know, just, you're not going to win the audition. So just learn some excerpts and kind of learn how that goes. And, um, it'll be a really cool experience. And then lo and behold, I ended up winning the audition. Um, so, um, you know, as a master student, I'm, I'm of course going to take that job. And I did, and I, and I took my wife and we moved to Austria for five years. And, um, after, or partway through season five, um, again, I started to feel like there were parts of me that just weren't really um, getting to participate in the process. And I felt like part of me was dying. You know, it's like, I, I get to play awesome music all the time and I get to be in an orchestra. And it's like, this is a lot of people's dream job, but this isn't my dream job. And I found out what was missing was uh, teaching of course, and then the just the variety of music that I used to get to play. I was all about jazz and solo music and chamber music and all that. So um, I ended up shifting my career goal, you know, uh, back to what I had originally wanted, which was I wanted to be a college uh, trombone teacher, and I took a job here at, at Vanderbilt. So um, I just finished uh, my ninth year here at Vanderbilt. I'm entering my tenth year, and it was at Vanderbilt that I started to to really dig into, okay, um, how does skill development work? Um, how does personal development work? Because that's also part of the ethos here at Vanderbilt is like, um, we, we want to produce really good players, but we want to, more than that, produce really good people um, who are really well-rounded and... Um, and who know a lot about a lot of different things and um, know how to be productive in society, all of those kinds of things. And but but a lot of people say that, or a lot of schools say that, but I I haven't really seen that many actually take action on that and put it into action. So I started to really think about um, how that works and and how you can convey that to people. And out of all of those thoughts and then all of my experiences came this method that we call the body, mind, spirit method. And I guess it officially became a thing like four years ago. Um, I posted a, a, a video on YouTube and then now there's a whole series. And now we do these uh, workshops. Um, we're about to, to do the sixth one that we've done. Um, wow. Just in a year. Uh, the first one was last July, July of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, an online intensive workshop. And uh, and we've done five of them. We're about to do the sixth one, uh, July 26th uh, through 29th, 2021. And, um, and through that, we've also learned a ton about how this works. Because um, my, my sample size was fairly small. Uh, when developing this, it was essentially limited to my interactions with my Vanderbilt students, which are exclusively undergraduates. 
And then things like I, you know, I would do it like summer camps where I'm on faculty or, you know, I, I get invited to go to, you know, universities and do a trombone day and or whatever. And, but still my sample size was pretty small. It was mainly undergraduate trombone players. Uh, what's been really cool about the workshop is we're getting to hear from and try these ideas out on people that are, you know, up and coming high school students, college students, emerging artists, all the way up to professionals like yourself and people that have been doing music at a high level for decades. Um, people in their 50s and 60s that, that, um, that have been around the block a few times. And what we're stunned to find is that it, it actually works on a wide variety of people. The, the only real prerequisite is, do you wanna be good at music? Um, do you have some sort of passion for music and do you have some sort of goal in mind that you want to do? And the whole, the whole idea behind the body, mind, spirit method is that uh, we as people uh, are not just buckets of emotions. Um, we're also not just, you know, electrical impulses and neurons. We're not just machines. Uh, we're very complex beings that have machinery and we have emotions and we have thoughts and um, those things, uh, we need all three parts of the self to be working well and working in conjunction with the other to actually experience um, not only personal growth, but actual musical growth. Um, that when we try to focus on one area of the self to the neglect of the others, that that is not a formula for success. Um, and uh, it's not just in music, it's in many, many art forms where um, there are certain levels of skill that you have to have. There are certain things that you have to know. There's certain knowledge you have to have. And there's certain uh, a certain amount of passion, whatever you want to call that. We, we use a lot of different emotions. We call it spirit. We call it passion. We call it drive. We call it um, uh, uh, having a why, you know, uh, and that, that, you know, we've heard uh, those kinds of things across a very broad spectrum. People have all sorts of different reasons why they do music, but the point is that it's there, that it exists and that you're reminded of it on an often and intentional basis. And uh, that, uh, you know, to be a great painter, exactly the same thing, to be a great dancer, to be a great uh, athlete, uh, you know, whatever it may be, whatever art form you're in, there are certain things you have to be able to do, certain things you have to know, and certain things you have to feel at a certain level. And um, that, and the other part of the method or the, the philosophy behind the method is that if there's any part of the self that is either underdeveloped, it's just not as far along as the other parts, or if it's uh, out of balance, if it's, being, if it's being relied upon much more than the other parts of the self, um, or if it's being interfered with, there's some th sort of thing blocking your access to that part of yourself, that that can cause an imbalance and that can, that can uh, form a roadblock to your musical goals. Um, and so what we try to do through these workshops and through the videos and all of that kind of stuff uh, is teach people how to identify uh, what area of their self 
is maybe not functioning where it needs to function, uh, if there are any gaps in their in their um, in their knowledge base, if there are any gaps in their skill level, um, or if there's just something that's been neglected, you know, uh, I, I meet as an example, I meet a ton of people uh, who have crazy amounts of skill and crazy amounts of knowledge and have just forgotten why they do it in the first place. That's a very common theme. I have been there before. I'd say most everybody has been through a season like that before. The body mind spirit method is to is is meant to teach you to recognize it and to give you solutions for a, a way back to the center, back to a, a place of balance, and remembering intentionally uh, why you got into music in the first place. Uh, one of the things that we found is that almost every person that we talk to has a has an area of the self that comes easy to them and is just very, very natural. They don't have to work on that much. And so counterintuitively what happens is they kind of push it over to the side and count on it always being there. And they take it for granted. And then because that muscle isn't exercised, so to speak, it atrophies and it withers away. Uh, and that can happen with any of the three parts of the self. Uh, so, you know, kind of in line with um, your focus on skill development, uh, I, I also meet tons of people um, and I have had seasons of my life and career like this that have a ton of passion and a ton of knowledge and they just won't do the work or haven't been able to do the work or didn't know how to do the work. So their skill level is far below their actual potential based on their knowledge and, and how much passion they have for music. So, um, it's been a really fascinating journey uh, starting out basically with a theory, uh, with a very small sample size, and then continuing to meet people and continuing to ask these hard questions um, and continuing to, to you know, keep an open mind. Um, and what we're finding universally is that the theory has been correct that it seems to be much more universal. We now have over a hundred people that have been through these workshops, um, and uh, and it's helping people across a broad range of age levels, experience levels, motivations, reasons for doing, career paths, and instruments. Uh, obviously, it started with a ton of trombone players when we started because <laughs> I'm a trombonist, and that's the part of the industry where I'm most known. But we've had trumpet players, we've had conductors, we've had flute players, we had our first string player. Um, We've had now international people since it's on Zoom. We had uh, somebody um, who stayed up really late every night in Spain and um, and did the Body My Spirit workshop. And um, it's been really cool to see that the theories that we had are proving true. But then also as we dig further, we're actually finding actual scientific proof for how the Body Mind Spirit theory was, right? So it's, it's sort of like we... Um, we sort of like, sometimes it feels like we we threw a dart and then drew a target around it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, the dart that we threw um, wasn't based just on a whim. I mean, it was based on actual experience and, and actual data, but now we just have a much larger sample size. And now we're starting to find um, actual scientific, um, real scientists that have done hard research um, that shows why the theory has proven correct. 
well. <laughs> Sorry, no. you just stick a quarter in me and I'll go. <laughs> no, man, I feel like this is totally fine because it it's I didn't didn't I mean it's totally fine. I, I kind of not want to just talk about the body mind spirit workshop for a second, but your introduction to that was I guess if it's a quick forty five second introduction to my biography here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. It it forty. I, I meant forty five minutes. That's all right. I I think it's awesome. I'm I'm just giving you a hard time. But no, the so I I did the body mind spirit workshop. I do not remember which month or when it was. I don't remember at all. I think it was like early January. Could have been. Yeah, you did our January 2021. Yeah, workshop. Yeah. So. You know, I have a, a notebook full. Uh, it's sitting right next to me, actually, full of sort of things that came as a result from that. But I remember being in the in the actual workshop. There's well, there's three things that stood out to me. This is my experience, just to share it, because I don't yeah. think I filled out the feedback thing. <laughs> um, number one is I walked away with a very strong understanding that what I do is specialize in the body part of body, mind, spirit, Mm -hmm. if you want to Mm -hmm. use that language. Like, at first, I was trying to figure out, like, what's my thing? What do I do? How do I fit into this? And I was sort of, like, dabbling in maybe all three or this or that. But then I realized, like, it's actually completely fine for me to just specialize in the body portion of things. I would argue that there are people who's specialized in the spirit side of things. That's there absolutely are, right. There are, yeah. ideally, in college, there's people who are going to specialize. I mean, there's all sorts of information you can get, but that's kind of what that is, is you're like people who specialize in the mind side of things, learning information and learning history and you know cultural and um, musical context for certain things, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So I was cool with that. I was like, that actually helped me considerably just lean in to like, that's fine. I actually don't have to, like there... Like I can just say, here's what I do. Here are the things that I fix. I'm going to teach you how to practice your instrument so that you can like literally go as far as you possibly want to go. And if you have other things that are that you're struggling with, I can sort of help with that. But like I'm not trying to like extend myself past that, right? It's like if yeah. you need more help than I can give you, I will I'll tell you as fast as possible. This is not my area of expertise. And I'd rather you just if it means you stop working with me because you've learned enough to go over there, I have some questions related to this. The second thing is I wrote, I remember writing down specifically, I need more spirit. And, mm. and like that comes from my Christian conviction as you know, you and I've talked about mm-hmm. a lot of that, that just felt like I needed to try to connect. I needed to understand from that perspective, how to draw my why from that more, like how do I get more, uh, motivation or inspiration or whatever from my understanding. Uh, I mean, we don't have to get into it too deeply, but from that, from my faith, my Christian perspective, absolutely, because I want my why to come from that because I find it it produces peace, <laughs> like it produces contentment with the work that I do, and it's been a long road to understanding that, but that was helpful. And the third thing I understood that was an unexpected thing, and I'm not going to share how I understood this, but you'll know what I'm talking about. Just, I I, I really got a, a picture and an understanding of how vulnerability produces connection. There was one yes. particularly vulnerable moment that we experienced mm-hmm. um, where someone shared something and, you know, I reached out to that person and, and said, like, you know, I just offered some words of encouragement or some words of support. And I realized in that moment, I don't know if I would have reached out to that person to connect, to say anything. 
if I wouldn't have, so that that kind of thing yeah. brought us together and connected us, and it was you know like it took a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of openness and courage to be that vulnerable. But like I, that taught me a lesson, you know, it taught me a really mm. important lesson about connection and how if we're living sort of this surface level understanding of like, I'm going through life, hopefully we get into this later with you, but if we're just going through the motions and we're trying to pretend everything is okay, like it might be more difficult to actually connect with real individuals, real people. It's it's one of the things I was posting about or, or talking about recently in my social media where I feel, I feel because of the way I've approached social media, I feel disconnected from people. I'm like posting mm. a video, I'm posting a tip Tuesday, I'm doing this. I feel like I'm doing all the right things, but I don't ever actually then get to talk to an actual human being. The people that follow me are likes and views. They're not like real people. Yeah. And I hated that. I hated that. And so I tried to go to some lengths and some efforts to try to actually like connect with people. And some people reached out and it was cool. Like it was cool to actually like talk to a person and be like, oh, there's this is like these are real people that their life, they're like, this stuff has been helpful and I really appreciate it. And then I can lean on them and say, I really appreciate your support. It really yes. does mean a lot. So that idea, uh, it taught me a lot. That that whole that whole workshop taught me a lot about vulnerability, but that was like a very unexpected thing, you know, to to pull away. I imagine everybody's coming away with different takeaways with sort of how how much you cover um, and what everybody may need. But uh, that was sort of my experience to line it up with what you're describing. I feel like I've gone so heavily into the body part of things because that was so that was somewhat lacking for me. I could just play. Mm. And so I had to build these systems that made it so I could continue to get better and better and better and better and better. And that's why I think I care so deeply because I feel like without an understanding of how to get better, how to develop your skill, you're stuck with wherever the last space you were when you studied with somebody, essentially. That's right. So That's right. Um, um, yeah, anyway... You know, Go ahead. I, I'm I'm doing a talk. I, I want to have responses to all the things you said, but um, <laughs> I, I'm doing a talk uh, actually this week um, at the International Trombone Festival about body, mind, spirit, and it's like one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is to take what is usually like a four day intensive online workshop and condense it to a 50 minute talk. But oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I talk about is um, you know how imbalances occur, like what we have found out over the last year of uh, talking to these people of how how you, how you people find themselves in, in those places where there's a part of the self that's been neglected or there's a part of the self that's actually been kind of overused or over relied upon. And a pat, it's not universal, but we, we have seen a pattern that um, most people have one part of the self that has come easy to them. And it's very easy, as I said before, to kind of like, you know, just take for granted that it's always going to be there. And so you kind of neglect that. And then there's usually a part of the self that has been a struggle. And so people, because they want to be good and because they want to, you know, they notice that like that's a part that's been a struggle, they'll really go after that in a very intentional and very intense way. And sometimes it's like skipping leg day. It's like just, you know, that muscle becomes kind of like very well developed and it's it's not that it should now be underdeveloped. It's just it's outpaced the other parts of the self. 
you know, and um, and just recognizing that and then going, you know, I'm going to invest some of this time and energy <laughs> over here in these things um, that I've been neglecting for a while. And it changes over the course of a career. It, you know, you could chart my progress throughout my 20-something years of playing the trombone. Um, you, there, you could find, depending on when you look, in my life, you could find times when I've been really strong in the spirit, really strong in the mind, really strong in the body, and really weak in all the other areas. You know, that's part of the journey. And that's really what we're trying to teach people to do is to kind of like recognize it a little earlier and maybe continually and intentionally move towards that balance. Well, and one thing you um, said, sorry, one thing you said to me in the, I asked this specific question, do you think it's fine yeah. to sort of like, not necessarily specialize, although that is a good way to think about it, but just focus. And you said something to me along the lines of you sort of are like moving from one to the other, but hopefully mm -hmm. funneling, getting closer yeah. and closer and closer to where like maybe you really do have to spend a decent amount of time on the body part of things just to get the mechanism working. Sure. But then you learn so much doing that. Like, like you said, body had been a struggle for you, but now you're like, a world-renowned expert on that. And that that is, and this kind of actually relates to your, your comment on vulnerability because, um, and I try to tell my students this all the time, when they're struggling with something, if they're really going through and they're really struggling, I say, you know, look, if you can actually make it through this, you're going to be able to help so many people who are also struggling with this. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, none of our struggles are ever wasted uh, if we don't let them be that, right? Uh, any struggle we have, the, the, if even some of the hardest things we could ever endure in our life um, have a huge silver lining, which is when somebody else that we encounter in our journey and in our circle of influence is going through that same thing, we now have a special superpower, which is that we can we can look that person in the eye and say, I understand. I've been through that, right? So um, people that know me would know that uh, in 2019, yeah, in 2019, early 2019, uh, my best friend died of cancer uh, and I had walked with him for a few years. He also happened to be my pastor at my church and um, died. And, you know, before that time, whenever anybody around me, a family member, a um, a student, a, just a friend was going through something like that where the, they had a family member who was sick or they lost somebody, you know, I could put my arm around them and try to comfort them, but I couldn't actually say, I understand, I've been there because I had not experienced a loss like that. But now I have. And it was like one of the worst things that's ever happened in my life. But the silver lining is I can now look at people and say, yeah, I lost Josh. Tell me about your loved one, you know, or whatever it may be. And then the same thing, kind of thing can happen, you know, on the, on the teaching side and on the positive side. I think it's beautiful that, you know, you're an expert and a specialist in this area. Um, and I think we need that. Um, one of the things that I'll say in my talk on Thursday, because I don't have time to go through all of my different <laughs> strategies, basically, I mean, and honestly, Ryan, we're moving to the point now where I'm discovering you know, these other voices and we now have wonderful, beautiful access to it because of the internet. You know, there's a there's a there's a point now where, you know, if I have somebody that's like, how do I work on vulnerability? It's like, just go listen to Brene Brown, you know, and 
it, you know, how do I work on, you know, um, how do I work on learning about neuroscience and and neural pathways and all that? And it's like, just go listen to the Huberman Lab podcast. And uh, and if somebody wants to work on how do I actually like work on skill development, it's like, just go listen to Ryan Beach. You know, it's like, it's, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, I think it's a really cool thing. Um, you can be a specialist in one area you know, uh, and and yet still be a balanced person. You yeah, know? yeah. Nobody's going to come to me to ask me how to do A or B or C, but there are certain things that I'm specially equipped and qualified to to talk to, and I think that's a really good thing. I think one of the things that's hardest about what you just described. I'm curious for your thoughts when you're in the middle of struggle. Like what I, I think the thing I I I mean I I feel the same way you do now. But one of the things that I would struggle with when I'm suffering is like that's not the thing I want. Like I, what I don't want out of that is to help other people in that moment, right? What I want is for my suffering right. to end, right? And, right. And and so like let's if you put it in the context of struggling with something on an instrument, right? Some sort of skill you're struggling with. If you say, well, if you come through this, you're going to be able to help so many other people. Mm-hmm. I find the people that I've said that something very similar to a few different people that I've coached, and it's like. I think people can conceptually understand that, but the thing that's most important right now is how soon is this thing yeah. going to be fixed? I think it's yeah. such a struggle because that that silver lining is is hard to prioritize over the thing that we want in that moment. And I think it's possible to have that bigger picture kind of look at it, but mm-hmm. gosh, it takes a lot of like, you know, sort of inner inner under like sort of looking inside and being like yeah like you said why am i doing this and like i know your why is attached to helping other people so it's probably something you regularly search for is what am i going to get out of this that's going to help me be a better communicator how am i going to be able to help people more so you're looking for it but when you're someone like me in college and your why is i want to win an orchestral trumpet position it's really (laughs) hard to look outside of my immediate i just need to get better at this so i can go win a job yeah that you hit it on the head. I mean, it's such a hard thing. I, I think it's one of the reasons that the most wise people in our lives usually have gray hair, you know? Uh, <laughs> not always, but a lot of times. Because um, that is a lesson that it takes a long time to learn. Uh, I think it's, boy, it would be superhuman to actually learn that lesson in the midst of struggle. It's one of those things that I really think only lands once you're out the other side of the tunnel and then you look back and you go, oh, that's what that was for. Sure. Or, or oh, that's that's the silver lining I can take from it. Um, the and the best that I can do uh, is try to be that person who's been through stuff. And as I see somebody about to go through struggle or somebody going through struggle, I realize it's not going to land on them. I'm basically planting a seed that won't water and gets won't be watered and won't sprout until they're actually through the struggle most of the time. Um, I've told many students going through an embouchure change or going through, you know, a personal trial or, you know, just something really difficult. It's one of those, you know, one of those things that you, you can't think of anything else for six months. And it's just like, you know, a really big moment in your life. And sometimes you do feel like an idiot going, you know, there's some reason for you going through this. I think you have to have some relational capital with people to be able to say things like that to them. You know, if I just meet somebody on the street or if I just meet somebody at a conference and they reveal that they're going through something really tough, I don't have relational capital to say, you know what, it's gonna, 
it's going to get better or it's uh it's you know you're going to learn something great from this um that that tastes bitter in people's mouths when you don't really know them and you don't really know who they are and 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 what they're about best i can do at that point is go i'm really sorry yeah that sucks you know but those people that i have relational capital with you know, and that they trust me and that they know a little bit of my story. That's where the vulnerability equals connection thing is so powerful because I've let them in on a little bit of my stuff so they know that I've been through stuff. Um, and so when they're going through it and I say it does get better and you there will be something positive to take from this, I don't quite go down the path of everything happens for a reason when people are in the midst of struggle. I just know that can be very hard to to take and very hard to believe and it's not helpful in that moment. Um, but in in my own way, I try to say, look, there there is something good that's gonna come from this. And uh, if you're not failing and if you're not struggling, you're you're kind of not growing, you know, most of the time. Um, I, I think there's probably some sort of direct proportion to the amount of struggle and length of struggle. Um, but, uh, you know, another a dear friend of mine said, um, you know, we often will repeat a struggle until the lesson is learned, you know? <laughs> and so that's, that's also what I try to do with my students is like, um, especially <laughs> if a struggle that they're in is even remotely self-induced, uh, which sometimes happens, as we all know, in college. Um, it's like, okay, so that sucked and I'm sorry you went through that. Uh, but a silver lining is like, let's put things into place to make sure that never happens again. Yeah. Or at least not by anything that you can control, you know? And, um, but I, I personally have had a few things that it's like, I just keep <laughs> making the same mistake and I keep uh, entering the same struggle until I finally learn the lesson and believe the lesson, you know? Um, and uh, so I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said about adversity, about struggle, um, and its role. I, I think uh, you know. You know that one of the books I love the most is "Chop Wood, Carry Water." Um, one of the chapters in there is "You Can't Skip the Rough Side of the Mountain," um, and it doesn't mean we go out in search of struggle. It doesn't mean we go, you know, life, please crush me under <laughs> your boot, you know. But it means that when those things inevitably come even if it reduces some of the pain by, you know, just a few percentage points to know that there's a reason for it or that there's something we can get out of it. We can leverage that pain. We can leverage that struggle. We can leverage, uh, you know, to, to produce something good in ourselves. People used to call it character. Um, character is like a bit of an old fashioned, out of fashion word, but um, I think that there's something to it. You know, that um, by going, you know, my, my dad would always say, almost jokingly, like, you know, you would just like hit your head on the cabinet or something. He's like, oh, it'll build character, you know, <laughs> but it's like, but there's something to it. You know, uh, most of the success that I have had um, in the last three to four years, uh, when a lot of different things in my career have just kind of coalesced and come together in a in a time where I feel like I'm in my late 30s. I'm kind of like at the, maybe this is like kind of the prime of my career. It's only happened because of like boneheaded mistakes that I've made <laughs> in the past. Uh, and, and I go, okay, I learned not to do that. 
um, and just you know using those learning opportunities that have have come up um, to and to to go okay that's I'm not going to let that happen again you know or I'm yeah. going to take something positive from this. Well, I totally agree with you um, that I I actually think saying something like everything happens for a reason can. I, I think it is a little trite, actually. I, I don't think yeah. I agree with that, but I, I do totally agree with you that good things can happen and good things often do come from sh- from suffering and struggle. I would say I've spoken about this many times, not getting tenure in Indianapolis. That yeah. struggle taught me that I am more than just a trumpet player. Like I was forced yeah. to ask some of those questions. Uh, you know, I, I basically the biggest struggles I've ever had in my entire life were always relationship issues, always. Mm. And uh, I've made so many mistakes, it's not even funny. Um, but it's it's always served in some fashion. I mean, at the expense of others, which is like heartbreaking for me now. Yeah. I mean, at the time yeah. I was just, you know, I don't know if I s- sort of understood what was happening, but at basically at the expense of others um, and some of my not, my not finer moments, right? But it's, you know, serving to refine, right? And then I would say like whatever struggles I feel like I've encountered in the past year of my life related to a lot of the career development things I've been doing and just a lot of like the no's that happen where you're trying yes. to put stuff out there and then it's just that right. feels like the answer is a no and then you do it again and no and you think you've got the right answer figured out and no. That has served for me to really to, to refine my understanding of what it looks like to trust God. And mm-hmm. how do how does that look for me? And and like how does that transform my life, which it has totally transformed my life, even in a short period of time since I've been asking that question. I say all that because I wanted to preface the question I'm about to ask next, and we can certainly cut this from the interview if you feel like it's not gonna roll. Do you feel any good came from the struggle or the suffering that you went through when your friend Josh died? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, so every now and then, like if you pick up, um, you know, some sort of product or or an appliance or something and you look at the warning labels um, and, and sometimes the warnings are like, yeah, that seems so obvious, like, you know, duh, and 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 sometimes I'll I'll joke with my students like when you see a warning label that has all these warnings on it, it means that it's because somebody somewhere <laughs> committed that error, got injured or something, you know, um, it, you know, stuck the the can of cheese up their nose instead of in their mouth or something, you know, and now they have to put a warning on it, you know, somebody spilled hot coffee in their lap at McDonald's, so now we have to put a label that says the coffee is hot, right? Um, and I, if you look at the things, um, it's hard to say this and not sound arrogant, but like, if you look at any of the things that are any, even remotely admirable or like that, that you would think are good about my life, they're all of them, all of them are there because of a mistake or a tragedy that happened in my life. Literally all of them. Um, I, uh, one of the coolest things on my resume when I was a young player was I, I, I we have this um, American trombone workshop that the U.S. Army Band puts on, and I, I won that competition four times in a row, which nobody else has ever done. But uh, I didn't do that until I bombed hardcore, sent in horrible tapes, and then didn't even make the finals. You know, um, 
And my teacher said, don't let it happen again. Um, I now have some really wonderful, deep friendships, but I only know how to make deep friendships by really running off some friends in the past with codependency and and uh, just bad choices and and just being a bad friend. Um, I I now know how to walk through a trial. I know I now know how to be go through adversity partially because uh, I did that and I and I went through it and I survived. Um, I know how to walk with people through um, loss and tragedy because I had that loss and tragedy. Um, my marriage is stronger than it's ever been because I was basically addicted to working. I was a workaholic for many years and would uh, would choose to stay at work rather than come home and be with my wife. And um, she's a saint. And so she stayed with me and stuck with me through it. But a lesser person would have just divorced me straight away. Um, and uh, so I can't say like, I nearly lost my marriage, but like I was on a trajectory to lose my marriage. Um, and, but because of that and the lessons learned from that, now my marriage is very, very strong. Um, I mean, there's just, I, I can, I can just keep going. I mean, um, about two thirds of what I know from the body, mind, spirit method comes from at its original source, two years of acute clinical depression that I went through with medication and therapy and suicidal ideation and all of it, you know? Um, and so it's like, if you just take a freeze frame of kind of where I'm at right now at about to turn 39 um, and I have a, 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 you know, a good solid marriage and uh, friends and a career that's doing well, um, you don't see, unless I just let you see, like I just recorded on a podcast, uh, <laughs> you don't see all the stuff, you know? And this is why um, when my students come to me with imposter syndrome or they're doing all the comparison stuff, um, the, the comparison that is the thief of all joy, I'm like, look, even that, that person you're comparing yourself to that you think has it all together, I'm here to tell you they don't have it all together. And if, even if they legitimately do, it's because they were falling apart a few years ago, right? Um, and and um, it, maybe there's a person out there that is legitimately in their 20s and has their whole life together. And they're just a way better person than me or you or anybody else. But I just don't, I don't know any of them. Mm -hmm. I've never met any of them. Um, and, and so, you know, it, to me, that's, that may sound kind of cynical, but to me, that, that fact, if it is a fact, is a very joyous one. Uh, because it means like you can make mistakes and you can learn hard lessons and you can make it through it. And there is an other side to the tunnel and you cannot totally wreck your entire life. You know, I mean, obviously there are some mistakes that, you know, could land you in prison. There are mistakes that can cost you a marriage. There are mistakes that can cost you a friendship. I'm not saying that there aren't serious, you know, consequences to some things, but the vast majority of us that are just out there trying to do the best we can you know, you're not going to wreck your life by one, you know, instance of not getting tenure. You know, um, you're not going to wreck your life by mistreating a friend. I mean, it's it's horrible. And I've mistreated people and they ran away from me. So, but I learned through that how to treat people. Yeah. And now my friendships now are benefiting. You know, it's just, it's just not possible, as far as I can tell, to make it through life 
perfectly. <laughs> and to me, that is good news. Yeah. I mean, you said a lot of stuff. I just Sorry. really, no, you really, I really resonate with it. You know, I don't know what people see when they look at me, but, you know, when I was 26, I was engaged to be married and that just went very south. I was at minimum 50% of the problem, <laughs> you know, like I will sure. own up to all of that stuff. I was going crazy. I, I think I've said this before, like, I, it's hard for me to call it depression. That's what it was, but it's hard for me because like I didn't think of it that way. You know, I was just like, sure, I did, sure. it's like when I see somebody else struggling, I can be like, oh, well, maybe you're struggling with depression or or, or something like that. But when it's yourself, like it's hard for me to see it for what it is at least. And it's, sure. for me, it was very like, very gradual. It was like, I got this mm. job and I thought it was going to be everything. I thought it was going to be the yeah. answer to all of my woes and my life was going to be great. And then it was just a job. Yeah, that's like exactly. the reality of playing in an orchestra. It's a great and awesome and a wonderful job, but it's not like this thing that's not not a job, you know. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the issues I had with my relationship were compounded at the same exact time, and so my the engagement was falling apart at the exact same time that I did not get tenure, yeah. and like congruent, you know. And I was just like. This is insanity. I wasn't sleeping at all. I was mm -hmm. barely eating. You know, I mean, it was... But like, there's so many things that I'm so grateful to God. It's the only way I can describe it, that he brought me out of that, you know? And like, so the fact that I can sit here and have a conversation and look back and in some fashion be thankful for that. Yeah. I can only, only thank God for that because, I, I mean, there's, you know... I struggled with, I was like, I drank a lot of alcohol when I was younger. We'll put it, like, we'll put it that way, you know? <laughs> and like, in, in some alternate universe, I'm not even alive right now, you know? With the mm, amount of times yeah. I got into a car when I shouldn't have gotten into a car or the amount that I drank probably should have caused some sort of poisoning, right? In an alternate universe, I'm not alive right now. And yeah. like, yeah, you just think about that. <laughs> you just think about that and be like, how, like, not only... Did I, like you said, make, we make it out the other side through trying to do our best to learn and to, to continue to like be open to like, maybe I don't have it all figured out, but then to be here where now I'm in a position where I'm able to hopefully create some things that help encourage other people. And that that's a main yeah. driver and focus of my life is, is a miracle. That's like yeah. what a miracle looks like to me, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I totally resonate with what you're saying because it can look like, and, and when it's like, now I feel like I'm doing really great. You know, there's so, I, 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 I feel like there's, even though like there's stuff going on with like the world and like our jobs and uh, there's always stuff with this or that, like on average, I'm pretty content and, and, and peaceful, but that's only because like you said, of what I've been through, not necessarily because there's some magical thing. I just mm -hmm. have learned to be more content with <laughs> things not going my way, I guess. But anyway, I totally resonate with what you're saying and I appreciate you saying it too, because I think if we can shift that mindset and that narrative from like, there's these horrible things happening to like, I just got to find a way to get through it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and once I'm through it, there, there will be some things hopefully I can look back on and, and, you know, possibly even be thankful for it. I think yes. it's a really good appropriation of the suffering. I think it's like, it's an, it's an amazing outcome of what suffer of suffering to me. Well, and I think it's also one of the reasons I, I don't know about you, but um, 
for years and years and years, I really, I didn't want to make friends with people older than me. Um, when you're in your twenties, like you don't want to make a friend, or at least I didn't, I didn't want to make friends with like a, a 45 year old or a 50 year old, you know, it just seemed weird to me. Um, but it's, it's why I now, um, you know, and of course for some people it's, you know, it's a relative, it's a, it's a, it's an aunt or an uncle or a husband or a father, or a husband or, a, uh, I mean, a, a father or a mother or something like that, you know, uh, but if you don't have that in your life, um, go, go build a relationship with somebody older than you who's seen stuff and been through stuff. Um, because like I, there, I had a couple people in my life that kind of entered my life a few years back that, you know, I didn't have that before. I didn't have that, that wise person, you know, to put their arm around me and go, this too shall pass. And they're, you know, this is like 99.99% horrible, but there will be something. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the smallest little thing, there will be something that will come from this. Uh, even if the only thing is you can now comfort somebody going through the same thing, which is which is a, a much bigger deal than it sounds. Yeah, for sure. You know? Uh, well... Not to I want to talk about I want to talk about neuroscience at some point. I was going to say if you want to I mean I don't want to change, necessarily drastically change the subject here but I was going to see if you wanted to talk about skill development. <laughs> yeah, I do actually. <laughs> I um, do. Gosh, there's even there's even questions I had about, you know, I had a student once who it's just a just a he's a friend of mine now, you know. It's kind of cool when that happens. And uh, he struggled a lot as a trumpet player and he had a you know an embouchure change and it didn't necessarily pan out. I don't know if he had what he needed, you know, at that stage. So when I got there, there was just not a low level of interest, you know. Yeah. And yeah. we had a talk once, and and I think that talk, I'm curious to 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 see what your thoughts are because it's another big reason why I care so deeply about the skill development aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Is I asked him, like, do you think you don't like this because you don't like it, or do you think you don't like it because you're not good at it because to mm. me there are certain things that i'm not good at that i don't enjoy doing that i i know if i were better at like almost all athletic yeah. things right like i'm yeah. not that good at basketball but if i could play like lebron james i bet i'd probably enjoy going out and playing a pickup game of basketball you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> or right. like rock climbing if i was really good at rock climbing i bet i'd be yeah. out there every single weekend climbing rocks except <laughs> but i'm not and so yeah and i think this is and i'm curious maybe even just to use this as a segue into why the skill development aspect of things is important is because i really believe if given proper instruction and and the skill is properly developed and you then still aren't super interested in it, you know the difference between because you had you basically developed to a point where you're like, well, I, I don't necessarily think I got as far as I could possibly go, but I got far enough to realize that even being like moderate, like I was competent mm-hmm. at this, I still didn't really enjoy it to some degree. And so my hope is to drive great information from the skill development side of things because I think people are A, better than they think that they are, but their way that they yep. practice is stopping them. And yep. then I think B, that there's a lot of enjoyment in just being better at it, <laughs> you know, like having more freedom with the choices we can make musically and the kinds of repertoire we can play. And then the security that comes from I can show up to a gig and I feel like I'm going to be able to to do it versus I'm so stressed the whole time that I'm just going to fail at any given moment, right? So 
I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that, and maybe we can use this sort of as a segue into um, skill development conversation. Sure, absolutely. Um, I mean, I do think I think what you said is spot on. That I think there are a lot of people out there that um, are letting the fact that their skills are not very developed start to uh, influence how they think about music and how they think about themselves as a musician. Um, now, I do think there is some there's some truth to the fact that not everybody's cut out to do this like at some level, right? So yeah. they may their their goal of being the the next principal trumpet of the Alabama Symphony might be out of reach for their potential, or it might be out of reach for um, how much they want it, right? Because um, you have to have at least enough desire or enough interest at the beginning and through the process to make it through the rough patches and to make it through those days when you just want to throw the trumpet against the wall. Um, but to me, like if you have even just that minimum amount of interest just to get through it, then then there's something there to be cultivated. And then if you start to get better at it and the sounds that are coming out are so much better, like you might start to enjoy it more. You know, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. Um, I just don't think, again, I think that comes across to a lot of people nowadays as an antiquated value. Uh, I don't think it's actually antiquated. I just think it's very kind of anti our current culture um, where they're in just a lot of areas. It's like uh, at the point of first resistance, it's like, well, that's probably not your thing. That doesn't spark joy. So, you know, go over yeah, and do another yeah. thing. Um, and, uh, and, and we're also dealing with this with my son, who's 12 right now. And he's one of those kids that like is interested in about 18 different things and will have initial decent success at anything he picks up. But then he ha he's still finding, okay, what's that thing that I'll have initial success and then when I hit a roadblock, I care enough to push past the roadblock to the next thing. And he's starting to figure out what those things are and what those things aren't. And I think that's a good and natural part of growing up. But I think um, I think that, I don't, I don't know that that's being talked about a ton of, of like, if you hit a wall, it might genuinely be a wall and you might genuinely, you know, just not care enough to move past that wall. But, but would you try? Would you try a little, you know, to break past the wall? Because maybe just on the other side of that wall is, um, is some is, is and you start to really really enjoy you know um it feels like in a bygone era you know like every parent had their kid do some kind of like you either did a sport or you did you played an instrument or whatever and i know there's plenty of people that still do that but um you know from that we de we definitely have plenty of horror stories of people who are like <laughs> i hated this and my parents made me do it um but i think for fear of going down that path, we maybe swing the other way. And it's like, I'm not going to push this person at all to, to go past the, that little resistance that they're, that they're feeling. Um, so I think, I think what you're doing and giving people tools to, to know how to do that is filling a huge gap, uh, filling a huge need. Um, because what gets told to a lot of people, including myself is like, we'll just work harder. It's like, okay, but how? Right, right. You know, um, and uh, sometimes more reps is not the answer. 
Um, sometimes more hours of the instrument on the face is not the answer. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it ain't. And, um, you know, so I, I love the amount of thought that you put into this. And I love the amount of um, influence from other areas of life, from lifting from other sports and things like that, that you're bringing into this process to help people realize that in that area, we are truly athletes. Um, where it comes into body, mind, spirit is, um, I'll just say like, uh, how do I want to do this? So I'll just say that when we started this and when we started doing these workshops, one of the things that we would teach um, just from experience and just from you know trial and error in other teaching was saying, you know, sometimes the problem is actually your skill and your in your technique, but sometimes the problem is what you think about your skill and your technique. So for example, um, the first time that I really encountered this very potently was um, in my first year of teaching, there was a young woman who um, uh, was was playing a piece that had several high C's. Um, uh, it would be a high D on a, on a B-flat trumpet. So it's like, um, and every time she would go up for it, she you could tell that she was um, afraid that she was going to miss it. And I knew she possessed the note. It was not an issue of her having the note. I knew she had a solid high, high C. It's just she wasn't convinced emotionally and mentally that she could do it. And so she was there was this self-fulfilling prophecy. Every time she was going for it, it's like, I'm probably going to miss it. I'm probably going to miss it. I'm probably going to miss it. And then sure enough, she did, you know? And so I started to work with her on addressing the fear, you know, and I dig a, a layer deeper, you know, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to miss the note. Okay. So if you miss the note, what are you afraid is going to happen? You're going to be disappointed in me. So if I'm disappointed in you, what are you afraid is going to happen? I'm afraid you're going to kick me out of the studio. I mean, you know, and you kind of go layers deep and you realize like she's missing her high C because she doesn't trust me, you know, or she's, she's, uh, my, my predecessor at my job was, was a very sort of like harsh teacher and would yell at people and things like that. I don't do that. Uh, but she didn't know that yet. We didn't have relational capital yet. And that was just a huge Thing to me because there was nothing actually wrong with her embouchure. There was nothing wrong with her equipment. There was nothing wrong with her air support. She, I mean, like it's all there, but when she, but, but what she's thinking about the entire way up the arpeggio to the high C is, oh God, don't miss the high C because then Jeremy will be mad and then he'll, he'll yell at me. And, and, and it just, it hit me like, oh, maybe there's more to this than just the physical you know, there, that maybe all this is much more related. So one thing leads to another. And, and we now, you know, are teaching people like what you think about matters and also how you feel about the piece matters and what your reason for playing the piece is matters and what your, what your reason for practicing matters, you know? So here's an example of that. Um, so from my own personal experience, uh, most of my career... Uh, my why for playing the trombone, I did I did genuinely love music and I still do genuinely love music, but my my actual really deep down kind of ugly reason was uh, I thought it was how I would get love and attention and affirmation. 
Uh, when I play the trombone really well, people stand up and clap for me. And my parents are proud of me. And my family pays attention to me. Um, and um, I don't get made fun of quite as much <laughs> at school for being a band nerd if I'm the first chair in the state, right? And they put me in the school paper and I'm getting congratulated by the principal, right? So it's like, it was it was this uh, achievement through music that, you know, was it was not filling an artistic void. It was filling a personal void of, I just want to be loved and belong, and you know, and and the band kids all love me because I would make all state and I was a soloist in all the marching band and everything, and that continued through college and I dare say even into the, my Vienna Philharmonic time and I never really truly changed my why. I did fall in love with music. I did fall in love with Mahler symphonies and jazz and solo music. And I fell in love with teaching. Yes, all that was in the cauldron too. But I didn't really change my why until I was in that place of depression, like really deep depression. And I started unpacking all those things. And it completely changed my practice. Like it actually changed my fundamental. I actually sound better now. And I don't struggle with things as I used to, because uh, when your self-worth and your affirmation and your belonging is tied up with your playing, then goodness gracious, how important is every note and every mm -hmm. phrase? Yeah. If my love and belonging and affirmation and worth as a person is hanging on this, you know, Grandal concerto or whatever, then that thing has way too much importance and there's so much pressure and, you know, uh, one of the things I love about Karen Kubitas, who I know we both know and work with a lot, she's been on this podcast, I think, um, is, you know, it's like, it's just trombone. <laughs> like it's, you know, like it matters and society needs it. And, but it's like the, the world is not going to end if you miss that note, you know? Uh, and when you've convinced yourself that not only is the world going to end, not only am I going to lose my job, but I'm also less of a person. That is a that is a non-sustainable proposition. So I ultimately ended up changing my why to something that is completely different and much broader scope, which is now that I want to increase beauty, joy, and understanding in the world through music and through teaching as many people as possible to do the same thing. So uh, it's not really even about how good I sound on the trombone anymore uh, so much as it is trying to increase joy, beauty, and understanding and connection in the world. But anyway, so that was that was why we we talk in the Body, Mind, Spirit workshop a lot about that when you're practicing and when you're developing these skills, um, what you believe about yourself and what you're thinking and what you're feeling actually matters and your body will pay attention to it. And now's where we get into the science um, because I'm so excited because over the last few months, this guy, Andrew Huberman, H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N. Um, he's a neuroscience professor at Stanford University. He has a YouTube channel and now he has a, and he has a podcast uh, called the Huberman Lab Podcast. And he specializes in neuroplasticity and, um, and motor skill acquisition and all of those kinds of things. So just a crash course on neuroplasticity is essentially like when we are young, uh, especially three, four, five, six years old, our brains are in a constant state of plasticity, which means they can change very quickly and they can create neural pathways very quickly. And if we, um, 
And if our parents change the way they want us to do this thing or whatever, we can do that very, very quickly. And it's how kids can learn three or four languages with no accent and how they can learn to you know, do all the amazing things that we now see all over YouTube as little kids because uh, their brains are just like this very soft clay that can be, not literally, but that, you know, that, that can be molded and shaped very, very easily. And then we know that at about, it, it then tapers off until about age 25, and then our brains aren't really plastic in the same way anymore after about age 25. And so what Huberman is trying to do is figure out, uh, is, there, is there something we can do uh, after age 25, uh, or are there actions that we can take that actually help the brain get into a state of plasticity similar to what we are when we're, when we're kids? Um, and uh, what they have found is that there's this, it is totally possible that um, under extreme circumstances um, and in very specific circumstances, the brain can be very, very plastic even well into adulthood. As 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 year olds, we can change our brains. Norman Doidge also has a really great book called The Brain That Changes Itself, where he talks about neuroplasticity and all the advancements that, that we in the learning there. But what the, the short version of what Huberman has learned is that there's this magic chemical formula um, that uh, that puts your brain into a state of plasticity. And um, the, the chemicals, I believe it's uh, neuroepinephrine and uh, acetylcholate. Um, don't, don't take my word on that. Just check what he says. <laughs> but I think those are the chemical names. Um, but essentially... Uh, when you are in a state of intense focus, your brain floods your cells with one of those chemicals. And then when you are in some sort of state of what they call stress, so stress not in terms of necessarily emotional stress or mental stress, but like physiological stress where the body is being told that it has to work a little bit or that there's some sort of extra... Uh, pressure or that there's some extra, you know, circumstance. Um, and uh, so, you know, the old, the old story of like the, you know, the, uh, it's kind of where fight or flight comes from, right? So when you're in an extreme circumstance and you're legitimately afraid for your life, your brain, you know, floods with these chemicals that cause your heart to race and your pupils to dilate and the mom can like lift the car off her kid, you know, stuff like that. So we think of that kind of stress being able to put the brain into a state of plasticity. But what they also found is that same chemical can come from feelings of like love and joy um, and intense caring, right? Um, and so essentially what we found is the scientific proof for the body-mind-spirit method. Because what we've been telling people for years is like, if you, if you practice stuff with, and and while you're practicing, your thought patterns are, this sucks, I'm horrible at it, I'm probably going to mess up, this is boring or whatever. It's all negative or all self-deprecating, uh, whatever. Um, your brain remembers that and can actually wire in those thoughts into the actual physical movements. 
And then, but the good news is you can also do the opposite of that. If every time you play a piece or you do an exercise, you concentrate on how lovely it is and how much better you're getting and and um, the accomplishment of it and, and feelings of positivity and joy and finding some way to get joy out of long tones and lip slurs or whatever, your brain will also wire those feelings into the physical movement so that when you're on stage or in an audition or whatever, and you go to do that, Rather than your brain, you know, thinking of negative things, and I'm probably going to miss this, and I really hope I don't miss this. To you know, this is fun, and I'm going to nail this, and it sounds kind of magic, but we've seen that it actually works, and now we know why scientifically, because um, the the what Huberman says is your brain doesn't care which mo- which emotions motivate this chemical to come out into your brain; it just when that chemical comes into your brain, along with the uh, the focus chemical, um, plasticity occurs. That's just chemistry. It's just science. So basically, it's like while you know. So the point is, uh, if we're thinking of negative, stressful thoughts, we can still get better at the skill. But it's it. But is it going to be sustainable? And is it going to be very fun? Is it going to be very pleasant? This you know maybe some of that is you know, relating to what you were talking about of, do you hate this because you hate it or because you're not good at it or because you've thought about hating it the entire time you've been doing your Clark studies. And so now Clark studies are now attached in your brain to negativity and stress. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, this is all, this is really, obviously this is great. And it's, I kind of want to just share a few examples of kind of what I have found in my own practice and in my work with my clients, because I feel like it kind of, what, what I'm interested in is like some real world examples of this and then possibly yes. coming to some, what I'm like basically where I'm at is trying to come to conclusions about how to do, how to get to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that like the science is, is compelling, really. It should be compelling to everybody who hears it. Everybody who hears that should be like, okay, like I want that, right? Because it means that we can like, control the development of skill. Like we can actually yes. control the development of skill. It's not this thing that some people have and some people don't, but we are we actually not only some people have it and some people don't, but you can be in the driver's seat of controlling the amount of skill you develop. You may not be in control of how fast it develops, right? That's a right. separate thing. Right. But right. that's a that is so interesting to me that you could be in the driver's seat and it's been interesting to me for a very long time now. So I I mean, there's a whole, oh my gosh, there's so many different directions we could go with this. There's a book I've read <laughs> called With Winning in Mind by Lanny Bassam. I would highly recommend you get this book if you don't know about it because it'll fit right into everything you've described. But with Winning in Mind, there's a section on a performance journal. And he calls it, instead of a practice journal, he calls it a performance journal. He's mm-hmm. a rifle shooter. And uh, and he says it's a performance journal, not a lack of performance journal. So you basically don't write anything negative in there whatsoever. And so my yeah. the way I've I've come to interpret, I just did a live stream where I kind of showed this, is I either write, I'll write down the exercise that I'm doing, and then next to it, I'll either write good if I did what I wanted to do. Like I had the mm-hmm. thing I want to imprint, and I'll write good. If I did it especially well, I'll write great. Yeah. And if there's something that was lacking, I will I won't write bad or I won't write whatever, I'll write more focus or air forward, or I'll write, Mm -hmm. you know, something, you know, follow the shape, something that is like 
the next time I play this exercise, that's what I'm focused on, right? I'm like, yeah. I want to redirect my focus onto the thing because essentially to me, practice is I have this problem. I just need to find a solution. Once I find the solution, I just apply that solution every time and I found the thing that can produce consistency. So here's an interesting version of this is he also talks about writing like affirmations and stuff. And so one of the, aff- once I, so I, I would record these etudes, right? For social mm-hmm. media and I would want to do it in one shot. And so what would happen is I, if I got to like, let's say I would get about halfway through or three quarters of the way through. And then I would like make a mistake when I recorded it. I'd be like, all right, well, like I think I can do better than that. So I'd go back to the beginning. I do it again and I do it again. And what I noticed is that when I got about to that same exact spot where I would repeat things, I would start to say in my head, oh my gosh, this is going really well right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, yep. and then I would, I would start to think, what he says in the book is we have these statements that it is like me to blank. Yeah. And so I would say it is like me to mess up somewhere in this etude. And so invariably then it be, it does actually become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Right? So what I did, <laughs> don't don't pull a beach. Right. What know? I did is I started writing it is like me to increase focus as I near the end of an etude yep. and I wrote it is like me to um, finish strong or like finish the etude strong. And I would say that to myself, not, not only before the etude, but basically when I got to that point. Yeah. I would start, I would, I could hear that one voice coming in and I started to say the other voice. And you know, to be honest, like a month later, I found myself not having to say it and it still was there. Like you actually yeah. like imprinted a different voice. Now, what I took from this, and this is the thing I'm curious for your, your this is the first thing we can talk about. What I'm curious is, is that what that told me was that these statements of affirmation that we do, it's not an instantaneous fix. It never should be an instantaneous fix. What it is rather is another voice to focus on instead yep. of. So you're not necessarily saying I am a positive trumpet player all the time and then immediately <laughs> you're a positive trumpet player, but rather right. when you start to feel or our, our feelings or thoughts of negativity come in, you immediately think to yourself, I am a positive and you have something else to focus on, which goes into focus of attention. I assume just less from a skill development, more from a personal development point of view. But that was very, very fascinating to me that I actually regrooved and now I have almost no issue recording a full etude because yeah. it's like, and it just almost fixed it for good. Yeah, you've just changed the, the, the habit of attention. Focus of attention is a huge part of this. Um, scientifically speaking, um, so, it, you know, all of us, even right now, as we're recording this podcast, people, when they're listening to this podcast, um, all of us at any given point have many dozens, maybe even hundreds of different data points, different sensory inputs that our body is actually paying attention to on the subconscious level. Uh, my body right now uh, can hear my fan over there. Uh, it can tell what temperature it is. It can tell if there's any kind of you know large animal stalking me or whatever. But consciously, we only think about you know a handful of things, right? We're only we only pay attention to. Uh, but if I decide that you know like right now, I know on a subconscious level, my fan is over there making a little hissing sound because it's on like one out of ten. Um, but I don't actually hear it consciously until I change my focus of attention. Uh, let me see if I can focus on that fan. And yep, now I hear it. And what happened in my brain at that moment is 
Focus causes this chemical called acetylcholine to go to the part of the brain, like literally go to the part of the brain that's responsible for that sensory input. And it acts as what Huberman calls it a spotlight on the brain, that whatever I decide to shift my focus to, the chemical goes there and that tells my brain, look here, that's what you're really wanting to pay attention to. It changes the signal to noise ratio. It changes you know, which things are just noise and which things I'm actually paying attention to. So essentially what happened there is as you, as you got your brain into the habit of focusing on, you know, you are a person who finishes strong, you know, it is like you to, to do that well. Um, it's, it, it can seem on the surface of it, like, uh, you know, I don't know. It just comes across to people really funny sometimes when you talk about like affirmations, like if you believe it, you can do it. And it's like, we're not saying that, but we're kind of saying that, (laughs) you know, uh, we're saying that if you consistently tell yourself these thoughts that your brain will have no choice, but to pay attention to that and it will become wired in as part of these neural pathways. But as you said, it's not a silver bullet. It doesn't happen overnight. But essentially, if you consistently and intentionally move that spotlight in your brain towards what you want rather than what you don't want, uh, that's another big thing we talk about in Body, Mind, Spirit is rather than thinking about don't miss the note or don't sound bad right there or don't you know don't uh, fall off the wagon two-thirds of the way through the etude, that's essentially what our brain is going to do because the brain doesn't pay attention to modifiers. So concentrating on what we do want you know, is really, really important. The other thing um, that was, uh, I mean, I we had talked a lot about physical um, fitness and we had talked a lot about sleep and nutrition and all that kind of stuff um, that was really uh, important to me when I listened to the Huberman Lab podcast is he talks about that essentially uh, this acetylcholine and all these chemicals um, and the focus and the stress, the, the, the physiological stress, um, basically mark that part of your brain for plastic change, but that the brain doesn't actually rewire and change the cells until you sleep. Yeah, yeah. And that 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 the amount and quality of sleep that you get uh, will actually change how plastic your brain is becoming, you know, or how, or, you know, or, or if the, basically it's sort of like if you open up a Word document during the day and you make all these changes in 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 your document, um, your brain doesn't press Control S and save it until you go to sleep, you know. And so, um, you know, staying up for nights on end and and all those kinds of things are not the way to get better at something, you know. Uh, when it comes to a movement based thing like this, yeah. And I would argue then that like we should what you just said it requires us to reframe our understanding of how the skill development process happens then, right? Because yes. if we practice for like eight hours and then get no sleep, like we didn't get any skill, right? Like, so you've just, we have you've to- just wasted that time. Exactly. So then to me, understanding how this process works is of paramount importance to everybody yes. who wants to get better. Regar- yes. And like where I'm coming from is regardless if you want to be a professional or not, your understanding of that will guide your ability to have a good relationship with that thing. I spend a ton of time in the gym. This is where I've gotten like all of this information, right? This free information Mm -hmm. on YouTube, basically watching (laughs) like a thousand hours of this stuff. And 
I am not a professional powerlifter by any means, but I have the information at my fingertips to do the very best I can. And yeah. I've been through like periods, if I just would have gotten a coach, I would have gotten the answer instantaneously, but that's not, I actually don't have that desire at this point. So I just stuck with it. And there's like periods of years where I'm trying to figure out the answer to this one question. Mm-hmm. And it was worth it to me to answer that question, but only from a self-actualization point of view, not because like I have anything on the line. And this is something I believe very deeply in for musicians is that we need to remove, A, the thought that if I'm not going to be the best at something, that I have no purpose doing it. <laughs> yeah. And B, that music is, it is a job for some of us, but that it is should be something that does enrich your life. So that... Yes. W- from that perspective, from those two perspectives, it means that just because I'm not going to be the best doesn't mean I don't deserve all of the best information to make the best decisions and try to get as good as I can. Yes. Yes. And then the other side is that even if I don't become a professional, I still w- need or w- deserve the tools to be able to to enjoy a life pursuing making some form of music if that's my desire. <laughs> that's right. And That's right. I think we've, in some degree, at least the conversations I feel like I've been a part of, we lose sight a little bit, but there's a lot of people who aren't going to become orchestra musicians or, or college teachers, and they deserve That's the right. same information. That's right. And so... A little bit, that's why, like I said, a little bit, that's why I'm trying to understand it. And then also because I just believe, you know, I, I feel actually, it's so interesting, I feel this... Like over the over the ridge, right? I feel over the ridge that what I'm doing with the body part of things, I'm gonna do with the mind thing, right? I feel I can like <laughs> yeah. see it over the ridge, right? Like I'm not <laughs> getting to the end of what I understand about body by any means, but like for me and my playing, yeah. I've got I've gotten yeah. to a place where like you know what like I'm far I'm way ahead of where I'm explaining it because I'm constantly testing things on myself. And I understand that like my mental understanding of context and style and all that kind of stuff is lacking because I've just relied on the fact that I can listen to something and then produce mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So I feel that coming on the other side as well for the hopefully the same the same gain, right? But as of right now, I so deeply believe, and I'm curious for your perspective, I think we may have talked about this uh, at breakfast, but... Like, I really believe that someone who has the ability to, let's say they've mastered their instrument. Let's say that this won't ever exist, but let's say somebody became a master of their instrument and and played no music whatsoever. Like, I believe that that person, like, invariably will be left with, now how do I make music? But, like, with the ability to ask those questions way more consistently than if they did previously. So I'm not trying to say that one is necessarily better than the other, but if we're asking musical questions without the ability to produce produce sound with consistency, I would find that to be a significantly more frustrating process than saying, you know what, I'm going to hyper-focus for a period of time on really understanding the mechanics of how this works Sure. And maybe listening and so, tan, you know, sort of like indirectly absorbing how music is and goes, maybe even focusing on the spirit spirit side of things before I start trying to, I don't know if that makes sense. But for me, the development of skill just unlocks a lot. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. And it, and I think you're not alone. Um, but I, I, I will say, uh, and, and I'm with you on that. Like, I can't imagine ever having a time where I'm not actively involved in trying to make sounds of some kind. But um, 
at the same time, I, I know that there are people, uh, for instance, you know, people that will, um, you know, have a, a decent playing career of some kind, and then they decide they want to be a conductor, and they very rarely play anymore. You know, like that sounds like torture to me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I I I feel like I'm a decent conductor and would do some of that, but I would never be able to like full time just not play anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, but some people like that's the way they want to make music is by conducting or or people that go um, and dedicate their lives to musicology or you know things like that. Um, and uh, but you know even then there there is some level of them making music i don't know anybody who just like literally never plays again or literally never makes music again it's just maybe in a different way um i think what i've learned through the body mind spirit workshops cuz you know when i started it i was my my sample size was trombone students who most of which wanted to play for a living so but i've learned through the body mind spirit workshop that not everybody's in it for that yeah you know um, and it seems really obvious to say that, but you know, um, not everybody's in it for the same reasons. Um, not everybody gets the same kind of thing out of it. I think um, what I would say is everybody I've encountered, of course, has their life enriched in some way by the study and the discipline of music in, in some way. But I do think that um, there are people who get the same fulfillment out of just you know, going hardcore into the mind side, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, one of my colleagues at Vanderbilt, Doug Shadle, um, is a string player, but I've never heard him play a note. And yet I, I hold him in such high regard as a musician. I mean, like he just, I've never heard him play anything. I don't know <laughs> if he's actually has a good sound or anything, but like, but he understands music at such a deep level and has such a passion for it. He just wrote this amazing book about Dvorak and, and it was a New York Times article about it and everything. It's really cool. But, um, you know, I just, but I think your point is well taken that um, by being serious about music or or by in some level that whatever fits for you, your life is enriched, whether you're going to do this as a, as a career or not. I, I think it's kind of sad, kind of relating to what we were talking about before that, um, you know, it used to be like every kid played a sport or or took up an art or took up something like that. Um, and, you know, those can be great careers and those can be paths to great scholarships and things like that. But I get sometimes the vibe that it's like, well, if you're not going to get a full tuition scholarship for this or you're not going to go pro, then what's the point? Yeah. And it's like the point is what you learn and how you grow and how your life is enriched by 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 doing this. I even believe that amongst people who are who do intend to be professional musicians in some way. Um, I had a student at Vanderbilt who uh, was in our music education program, which of course is mainly focused on you know people becoming high school and middle school band directors, orchestra directors, choir directors, or elementary. Uh, elementary music teachers. And this person said, I just, I, I I love teaching, but I'm just actually not sure I want to be a high school or middle school band director. You know? And so is it like, he was thinking about, he was enjoying the curriculum. He was enjoying everything, but he was thinking about like leaving the curriculum because he's like, is it dishonest for me to be in this curriculum, even though I'm not super sure that I want to be a high school band director? Um, and I was like, no, that to, I didn't say it, but I was thinking that's idiotic. Uh, like, 
because um, yes, you are learning some content specific to being a high school band director, but really what you're learning is excellence and how to teach and how to interact with people and how, you know, you're becoming an educated person, really. It, you know, the actual major that you're in, you know, we music majors do that all the time where it's, you know, it's, I'm not using my major. And it's like, I don't like that line of thinking. It's like, uh, so let's say somebody went to Vanderbilt as a as an engineering major um, or, or the, more often the opposite happens where they, they go to Vanderbilt as a physics major um, and then they become an engineer at an engineering firm. Do you think they say, I'm not using my degree because I'm not a physicist? It's like, no. I mean, it, we, I mean, other fields don't really do that. You know, in the same way that that music does, that you know, where they say, "I'm not using my degree if I don't do this exact job." You know, um, to me, obviously, we're going to have some content-specific stuff, but it's it's really just about learning to be excellent at something, learning how learning works, and doing it in a way that's going to enrich your lives and maybe enrich the lives of others too. Yeah, I mean, I've had there's a friend of mine who's now the CEO of an arts nonprofit, mm-hmm. and she began as a clarinet player and then yeah. uh, her husband won a job with us in the in the ASO and so she became a member of our staff and then she became the education director and she just applied and we we did a podcast episode and she just talked about the various things she learned from a music degree that were very valuable yeah. for her applying it and being successful uh, in that field so clearly like you're saying you know to be to be even to be even competent, if not like excel at an instrument, it takes this. It's like a level of discipline that will serve you well anywhere. It's a level yeah. of creative problem solving that will serve you well anywhere. You know, Amen. as you're talking about sports too, it reminded me. I played baseball when I was a kid until junior mm-hmm. year of high school, where I more or less somehow felt like I had to make a choice between trumpet and baseball. And my dad said, "Well, you could be like." you know, a single A baseball player if you worked really, 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 really hard or you could probably do pretty well with music. So obviously I went that path. Um, but like going to a baseball game, the the joy of that, I'd much rather go to a baseball game than a basketball game because I know what's going on. <laughs> like I know what's yeah. happening, you know? And beyond yeah. that, it's just a reminder of past times. And so the idea that like somebody would play an instrument, they might even spend some time in school. That's like our possible audience who's like invested in the performances. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, we're not, I just think it, it, it can come very full circle, I suppose, is yeah. what we're saying. And to me, I'm just very passionate like I said, about trying to make it so that information, quality of information isn't the barrier specific, yes. specifically about skill development, not about pedagogy and how to do things, but sure. specifically about our understanding of what it means to be able to put one brick on top of another yeah. until we've built mm-hmm. a house. Like, what does that yeah. actually look like? Because I feel like then it's a matter of will. Do you want to do this? And if you don't, no worries. Everybody's fine. Like, I don't really care. Right. But I want people to have the option to ask those questions to the best of my ability, at least. Well, I think I think uh, what you said is really cool that like you don't want to become a professional powerlifter and yet you have access to professional powerlifter no. information, <laughs> you know? And But it's enriched your life in a certain way. You know, and 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 giving you something that you really, really enjoy, and you derive a lot of joy from. Um, I think you know all of us can easily go down that that temptation, that path of 
you know, what's the point if you're not going to be, you know, world-class at something, especially if we have gotten to be pretty good at, at something, right? Um, you get used to that excellence at all costs mindset <laughs> sometimes. And it's like, um, you know, my wife uh, was like, I think I want to get into drawing again. And I had this like flash of a thought of like, but you're not going to be able to like do that for a living or whatever. And it's like, wait, no. <laughs> what if she just wants to draw because she wants to draw and, and and she wants to get better at it? Or you know, uh, it's just really interesting. It's like, and I've I've thought about, um, like I I have kind of on my bucket list in my 40s that I'd love to learn to play the guitar. Um, I don't really know why. I would just love to like. I have visions of like sitting around a campfire with an acoustic guitar and like singing, you know, songs with my kids or something. You can't really do it with a trombone, I guess. Um, <laughs> and it's like I and I my immediate reaction, you know, is well, gosh, you know, you're probably not going to be, you know, a competent professional guitarist. And it's like that's not the point. The point is I want to learn a few songs and play with my family. You know, you don't have to be the best at something to to make it worth doing. Yeah, I obviously I very much agree. I appreciate that perspective. Um do you have any like closing thoughts? I mean, I I feel like we could talk forever, but this seems like a <laughs> I mean, before you give your closing thoughts, I do want to say yeah. I mean, we I feel like we had a great discussion about skill development, but I know there's more. Well, we'll talk about body mind spirit too because that's where people can get more, but if anybody sure. listening to this right now is like you guys should do this again please just reach out to one of us and say that was a cool conversation. Would you guys do that again? I'm trying to get like people, I mean, if yeah. you're not interested, fine. Don't say anything, but uh, I'm definitely interested in this and I want to make sure if I'm having these conversations, you guys are too. So let me know. Um, well, oh, you want how about this? Why don't you, uh, I don't know how I just, why don't you give your closing thoughts? If you have any, and then uh, and then just go ahead and segue that into where people can find you, how they can get information about the Body Mind Spirit Workshop, all those kinds sure. of things, and then I'll close this out. Yeah, I guess my my uh, my closing thoughts are kind of related to the Body Mind Spirit thing um, because that's just become like you've been talking about skill development is just become a passion for you, uh, holistic. Uh, music making and career building has been a huge passion for me. And, um, but uh, it's the kind of thing, I think because of the naming of it, that can count, sound kind of like somebody, you, call, you know, you call it the body, mind, spirit method or the body, mind, spirit workshop. And people think they already kind of know what it is. Um, and maybe I should have named it better or named it differently or something. Um but you know, there's just a misconception, I think, sometimes about what holistic learning and holistic development can even mean, because sometimes that hits people as like, oh, well, what he means is that we do some yoga and then we do our practice session, or you know, it's all about just like if you dream it, you can achieve it, and just take care of yourself, and you know, and it's like, and all those things are part of it, but um, really, what we're talking about when we talk about holistic. Um, learning holistic development is that um, we're trying to emphasize that you as a human being have multiple parts of yourself. And my, my, uh, my theory, which I now believe is turned into, you know, reality is that the best music any of us can make depending, you know, 
irrelevant of our goals or whatever, for whatever your goals are and whatever your potential is, the best music you can make is the music that you make with your whole self over the long term. And, um, and that most of us just don't do that. And um, that even our heroes on our different instruments, um, the people that we really look up to, um, most of them probably don't make music as holistically as they could. And that, yes, I'm saying that even those awesome players could be even better and maybe even more fulfilled by what they do if they paid more attention to their whole selves when they're, when they're practicing, when they're performing, all of that kind of thing. Um, and so really all we mean by holistic is just that, um, uh, that we're looking after all three parts and not neglecting any part of yourself in every part of the music making process. And that's what we try to help people learn how to do at the Body, Mind, Spirit Workshop. Um, we've, you and I have talked about it before, Ryan, that one of my passions, one of my big goals, you know, uh, when it was like, hey, let's do a workshop, because I do it with Karen Cubitas and she brought up like, let's do a workshop. And I'm like, I'm only gonna do a workshop if people can come away with actual concrete solutions. I'm not interested in just providing a, a, a very uh, broad and ambiguous theory and then just letting people marinate on it for a year. I want them to walk away with actual solutions that they can implement in their practice that day, the next week, the next month. Because um, even though it's not a silver bullet, it is something that is actionable immediately. Um, in some way for every person that we've ever had through the workshops. And we did that. And we've been able to do that. And so um, there's a ton of philosophy and theory and, and, and big ideas, but there's also a ton of nitty gritty, here's how you actually do this work. Um, and and uh, that's one of the, the things I've been most happy with is that in our feedback that we get, we're getting that people um, are really, A, really touched by the community that we create through, you know, that we have all this, people are truly, uh, vulnerable and they they feel free to be who they are and think what they think with no negative consequences and just connect with other people. And it's so amazing when somebody, you know, says, I, I've been struggling with A or B or C. And then there's like eight other people on the call that goes, yeah, me too. And that's so powerful because we we practice in isolation and then we t- tell ourselves that we're the only person who struggles with that thing. And so when you find out that's not true, that's very powerful. So that, that and then also uh, just the, the fact that people go, I was able to implement, you know, something from this in my practice, in my performances. I, I took an audition and it felt completely differently. Or even just, I'm doing all the same things I used to, but I'm thinking different thoughts while I'm doing it. And so I enjoy it so much more. You know, that's probably the most common feedback that we get, Ryan, is like, I just had a practice session and enjoyed it for the first time in like a decade, you know, and that really is very fulfilling uh, to me. So um, we do have um, uh, a website called Body Mind Spirit Workshops Plural dot com. Um, I am on uh, Instagram at Jeremy Wilson Trombone on YouTube at youtube.com slash Jeremy Wilson Trombone. Um, I have a, a website, which is jeremywilsonmusic.com. And there are tons of links there to Body, Mind, Spirit if you want to find Body, Mind, Spirit that way. Um, and our, our upcoming uh, 
workshop is July 26th through 29th. It's a Monday through a Thursday. Um, and we essentially do kind of like 10 to 5 uh, central each day on Zoom with plenty of breaks. We take like a really long hour, hour and a half lunch, lunch break because it's a lot of information. And uh, we do breakout panels. We we um, we have uh, people coming in and talking about wellness and yoga and all those things. I know I was kind of like borderline making fun of it, but it is genuinely part of the method um, is teaching people and giving them some tools um, for their physical well-being being and, and spiritual well-being. Um, and we just, and, and I go through uh, talks on the body, on the mind, on the spirit, and then how to kind of put it all together. Uh, I tell my story in much greater detail and, and talk about, you know, my journey and, and how I ended up arriving at the body, mind, spirit method and, and all of that. It's just, um, I kind of figured we'd do one of them and uh, call it a day, <laughs> Uh, you know, as a special, like while everybody's in lockdown during a pandemic. Uh, and now it's like, we've, like I said, this will be the sixth one that we've done. And uh, we, we've just, um, it's just so much fun. And, and so I would invite anybody that's interested. Uh, we do have still spots left for that July uh, a workshop. And uh, on the site, you can see a full sample schedule of kind of what it looks like. You can see videos where I talk more about the Body, Mind, Spirit method. Uh, you can meet Karen and what, and see what she's all about because she does all these talks on the Enneagram and career development and social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, I t mainly take care of the music making side. And then she looks after personal development and career development and things like that. And we just make a, a nice team. Um, but I just... You know, it's uh, it's it's been really, really fulfilling to, you hope that you can help like one or two people. Uh, and it's been really interesting to see the ripples in the pond. You know, uh, I saw on Instagram, there was like a, I think it was the Oberlin Trombone Studio. Uh, like uh, some of the students from Oberlin had come to the, to the workshop and they were so impacted by it that they did a whole presentation on it for like their studio class or something, you know? And that's what's really fun to me is I want, I really, what I want to do is change the music industry for the better. Um, that's my really big, you know, overarching why. Um, and this is, this is a, a step towards doing that. Yeah, if I were to just throw in two, like another just two cents, one of the things I think that I, I did well as I was just open to it. Like Jeremy yeah. said, you can walk in thinking. Yeah. I mean, I were I at that point I was working with Karen. I had heard a lot. I had heard about the Enneagram. I had heard about the personal development of the social media. I, I knew it yoga. I'm you know, like there's so many things that I think I had an idea about what it was. And and I did to some degree. Mm -hmm. Sure. But you know, to me, because everybody's different and because they cover such a they do like it covers a broad range of things, but it's 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 complete, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. Like like you get a, a good amount of information. It's not like like you said, it's not this broad thing, and you get a few little things, and then you move on. It's like here's the stuff. That's why that's so many hours and yeah and stuff like that. It's because they're going to go into depth on all of these things that matter at least for us to consider. So um, I read definitely think. It's worth you going to the website and checking it out and being like, oh, sure. you know what, like, sure. this is pretty awesome. And um, I think it, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I could take this out of the episode, but you guys have like, do you have like payment plans and stuff like that? If people are uh, want to yeah. go, but they can't maybe do the whole thing in one shot. 
Yeah, uh, the the price for a four day uh, workshop is very competitive. It's four hundred and fifty dollars, um, which is less than a, a lot of other workshops of this length and and breadth and depth. Um, but we don't want the money to keep anybody from doing it if they want to do it. So we we have people that pay um, you know a little at a time, or we have we have payment plans, and we just kind of work that out with people based on what they can do. Um, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, we would love people to just investigate. If they have a question, there's a contact form on the site. And we, you know, sometimes when you fill out a contact form on the site, you're like, is this going into the eternal abyss where it will never be answered? But it's like, we actually look at those and we get them immediately and we answer them as soon as we can, you know, so we're, we're on top of all that. Yeah. So uh, if that's something you're interested in, check it out. I definitely recommend it as someone who's gone through it. And uh, it was not my intention. I reached out to Jeremy a few days ago. The reason I reached out is because... I needed to interview somebody. <laughs> but then I realized it worked out really well because uh, at the time of this interview, uh, Body, Mind, Spirit will be a few weeks after that. So I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about that, yeah. refresh everybody's mind in case anybody in the my audience maybe didn't hear about it. Uh, and it sounds interesting to you. I highly recommend checking it out. So you can do that at the places that Jeremy described. I'll make sure to put those links in the bio so you can or the description so you can check that out. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do that on thatsnotspit.com or that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode or had any feelings whatsoever, please consider giving it a rating and a review on iTunes. And don't forget to share this on social media so other people can find the episode and enjoy it as well. Jeremy, thank you so much for giving me your time. It's always a pleasure to chat with you for a bit. Yeah, same here. I can't believe it's been a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could I could talk for a long time. Yeah, it goes But fast. It's, it's always a pleasure, man. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. Hello, 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 that's not spit fans, and welcome to the secret message of today's episode. Today's secret message is just a reminder that whatever you're doing, don't forget to have some fun. Like this. And remember, shh, don't tell Ryan.